Welcome into another edition of the Savvy Citizen Podcast. I'm Adam Gobb. Today on the show, John Serby, who's the executive director of the Catawba Riverkeeper, joins us to talk about, well, the Catawba River. The organization has moved their headquarters to Gaston County, right in downtown McAdenville. And they just recently opened the River Room, which is a tap room with brews from all over the Catawba River region. We're going to talk to him about that, about the work of the organization, and so much more. Welcome into another edition of the Savvy Citizen Podcast. I'm Adam Gobb, along with Elizabeth McGee, and we're talking with John Serby, who is the executive director of the Catawba Riverkeeper, and um, some exciting news with Catawba Riverkeeper. I mean, you guys were based in, in Charlotte for quite a while, and you just moved your headquarters over to McAdenville, right? Yeah, that's right. We, uh, we're actually celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. We were founded in 1997, and for the first 23 and a half years, we were in Charlotte, and... Uh, Last April, we moved into a, a temporary spot in McAdenville, and then just a few weeks ago, we opened our, our permanent headquarters and river room in downtown McAdenville. I've heard from some of my colleagues that the river room is exceptionally beautiful, and just the entire kind of facility is just is really something to behold. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's a really incredible example of a great adaptive reuse project, you know, taking an old mill building that... Mm-hmm you know, for years and years is set vacant in, and there's a lot of those in Gaston County, yep. right? Um, and, and showing what you can do with it and, and keeping some of the beauty of the his, history of the building uh, accessible and visible, but bringing it up to, you know, modern standards, you know, with, you know, UV windows and, you know, yep. modern HVAC and, and, and all the things you would expect in a modern class A office space. And it, can you talk a little bit about kind of what the river room is? Because it's like, if you just say that, you don't necessarily maybe grasp everything that's going to be involved with that. Yeah, it's a tap room. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, most people are a little surprised, you know, when you say Catawba Riverkeeper, a nonprofit environmental organization, right. it runs a tap room. Uh, but we Sign think, me up, though. <laughs> yeah, we, make, we think it makes perfect sense um, uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, we only pour beer that the breweries take their water from the Catawba River. So it just so happens there's 96 breweries currently taking their water from the Catawba River. That's including that is way more than I would have expected. Right, yeah, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> partly because the basin's so much larger than people realize. You mm-hmm. know, it starts up in the mountains near Black Mountain, North Carolina. So you've got all those great breweries in the mountains in Morganton and Marion mm. and Hickory. Um, you know, there's dozens of breweries up in the mountains in that area. Mm-hmm. And then down, you know, through the Lake Norman area, that's all part of the Catawba River uh, basin. And then all of Charlotte, you know, there's yep. dozens and dozens and dozens of breweries. And then Rock Hill and Fort Mill and that area of South Carolina is growing. And they've got a bunch of new breweries. We have a bunch of new breweries here in Gaston County. Yep. So, um, you know, that's our, our um, unique value proposition is if you're going to ha- drink a beer in the river room, it, the water came from the Catawba River. And um, so, you know, the connection is 96% of beer is water and you got to have good water to make good beer. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's the mission connection, but the organizational connection is really about um trying to come out of COVID when we all realized that you couldn't be a one trick pony, that you couldn't, whether you are for profit or a nonprofit, you better have some diverse ways to connect with people and raise money. And so this is a part of our overall revenue uh, stream plan to be able to fund our mission for the next 25 years and to be able to grow the impact that we can have. And if we can do that in a way that 
people already want to spend their money anyway, right. then all the, all the better. And so we spend a lot of time training our bar staff on, you know, what is Catawba Riverkeeper? Explain to me, what do you guys do? What is this place all about? Right. Because we want it to be more than just, oh, you know, Bob, do- Bob opened a bar in McAddenville. Well, right. know, that's great. I, I love going to all the new local watering holes too. But if you can feel good while you're doing it and know that, yeah, the profits off of this, you know, $7 beer are going back to make my water quality better right in my backyard. So we think that's a cool value proposition and we hope people will get excited about being there. There's something really poetic about that, that I just love. Like it's making me realize I've only ever thought about like localism or, I don't know, like locavore concepts in terms of like government units Mm -hmm. but to think of your local region in terms of like an ecological unit is something that's just blowing my mind right now like (laughs) that's very cool to think about you know being connected with people all up and down the Catawba River I love that yeah well you're in good company thinking (laughs) that because uh John Muir the famous uh environmentalist Mm -hmm. who is considered the father of the national parks and the John Muir trail right in our backyard that's right he uh famously said that governments should have been organized around river basins because rivers don't care about county lines in Mm -hmm. in this river basin they don't even care about state lines Mm -hmm. and so you know water is one of our core needs as humans but we uh, sometimes forget about the the interconnectivity that water creates that you know what happens up in the mountains affects us here in Gaston County and what happens here affects our friends in South Carolina and so you know that that interconnectedness you know water really helps tell that story you talked about kind of training up some of your your bartenders at the river room to tell people about what Catawba Riverkeeper does what do you typically get from folks that don't know much about your organization? What are some of the assumptions that maybe you're trying to overcome or, or helping to educate people about what Catawba Riverkeeper is, what you do, and, and why you're a much bigger organization than maybe people would understand just looking at you? Yeah, anecdotally, I would say most people, if they know who we are, mm-hmm. they know us from our work around coal ash. We were okay. in a eight-year uh, lawsuit with Duke Energy around cleaning up the coal ash on the banks of our lakes here. And on January 1st of 2020, we, we came to a settlement agreement around that. And Duke's going to remove all the coal ash that's on the banks of our, our lakes and rivers in the entire state of North Carolina. And that was high profile. And, you know, people who follow that kind of thing were really dialed in. Our membership grew exponentially when we were working on that. Um, but that's still a small percentage. And most people that walk in the river room are like, uh, Catawba Riverkeeper, what is that? Right. And, and so the thing that people are most surprised about is the size and scope of the river basin, which is why we have this huge, beautiful metal map uh, of the river basin that you can touch and feel and point out at lakes and you know say, that's my cove or my grandma owns a cabin there. And, and people are like, wow, I didn't realize how big this is and how much, uh, you know, region this really covers. And then the other piece is kind of what you were saying, like this, this aha moment that I had never really thought about how much of my daily life water really impacts. So we take for granted that when we turn on the shower, water comes out and that it's clean and we don't have to worry about it. Yeah. We take for granted that when we, you know, go to the faucet, clean water comes out. When we flush our toilets, 
We don't think about where it goes. We just assume the water takes it there. Um, but all of that is a part of this interconnected river basin, right? The river gives all that water that comes out of our sink and it takes all the water that we flush down the toilet. Now we have smart engineers that know how to treat it. And, and most of the time it's actually cleaner when it goes back into the river after we've treated it wastewater plants than when we pulled it out. Um, but that's an aha moment for people. And, and then when you start talking about, well, what were some of the impacts of Hurricane Ian on you? Oh, well, there was, you know, a creek out of its riverbanks and I had to go around. I don't, you know, I don't normally have to go that way. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you think that happened? Well, it's because we had a huge storm, right? Yeah, obviously. Right. But it's because our creeks, you know, can't handle that volume of stormwater. So are we thinking about as a community, are we thinking about as a government, how are we managing that stormwater? And, mm-hmm. you know, so to try to make some intersection with what you all do on a day-to-day basis, like that's where we really need nonprofits and for-profits and government working together to think about solutions because this county is developing, you know, as you know, faster than we can keep up with. So yeah. what are we doing to think about how is that impacting our water on a day-to-day basis? And then how does that impact us on a day-to-day basis? What, speaking of your, you know, relationship with governments and other for-profits, what is that relationship like between the Riverkeeper and governments who manage public utilities all along the river basin? Because like you said, often it's cities, um, sometimes counties who own and operate, you know, a public water utility or stormwater drains even. So what, how does your, what does your work look like in terms of interfacing with those governments? Yeah, so like any nonprofit, we wouldn't exist if there wasn't a gap between what the public demands and what the public sector provides. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's the for-profit public sector or the, you know, municipal and governmental public sector. So there's a gap, right? There's a gap in what the State Department of Environmental Quality can do, um, their bandwidth to do water quality testing and put the, that data out to the public so that you know it's safe to swim on Lake Wiley on Saturday when I'm getting ready to go out and do that. Mm -hmm. So we do programs like that to try to fill those gaps. You know, we try to listen to our communities and hear what the demand is and then build programs to fill those gaps. Similarly with, with um, city and county government, we're trying to fill those gaps. So we're trying to bring best practices to bear. We're trying to come and show up at, you know, development hearings and things like that and talk about, well, have you considered, you know, maybe doing a 25-year storm basin instead of a 10-year storm basin? Have you considered doing some green infrastructure, you know, putting, um, you know, some some more green space into this and a, 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 a more dense development with more green space is much better for water quality than a whole bunch of suburban homes on a, you know, postage stamp lot. So, right. like, little things like that that maybe aren't really aha like, very logical in a, in a planning development director's mind or um, even in a for-profit developer's mind, we're trying to kind of bring that information to the table and say, have you thought about just a little tweak to what you're planning that could have a huge impact? You know, mm-hmm. uh, instead of a 50-foot buffer on this creek, if we do a 150-foot buffer and we put a trail through it, win-win. We've got more protection on that creek and your residents have a beautiful trail to walk along the creek in their neighborhood. So those are the kinds of things that we're trying to do. You know, every now and then we get into combat, to be quite honest, you know, where, you know, you have, you've reached the logical end of, of, 
of a conversation, of a, you know, of a debate, of a back and forth, of a negotiation. And it, and it gets to where you have to bring the resources of the Clean Water Act and, and the legal uh, uh, abilities that it gives. But, you know, we look at that as like that's the absolute last resort. We want to work with the for-profit and the municipal organizations to try to come to the best solutions. One of the things that, that came to mind as we've been talking was um, the flooding that we saw along the Catawba back in 2019, um, which interestingly, it wasn't so much that the rain was heavy here, it was up in the mountains, and then you saw all of that kind of coming downstream. Um, and, and, and on Met County side, they had a bunch of homes that continually flooded. And I, if I'm remembering correctly, um, they worked to at least buy out some of those landowners because it was basically like, this is going to be a continual problem. Why are we leaving houses in, in an area that's going to continually flood anytime there's a really bad rainstorm. Is that something that Catawba Riverkeeper plays any sort of an advocacy role or, or anything like that when you're looking at some of these areas that are next to, whether it's the South Fork or the Catawba or any of these rivers? Yeah, so you know the, the two sides of the coin that we work on are water quality, which most people know us for, but water quantity is really what you're talking about. Right. And, you know, we live in a highly managed river basin. We have 11 lakes. They all have dams on them. And they can only hold so much water. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if you look back at the last 20 years, our rain patterns on an annual basis, the volume of rain has not changed dramatically over the last 20 years. But if you look at it on a monthly basis, mm-hmm. we had these much different rain patterns than we did 20 years ago. We had these huge spikes followed by huge times of drought. And so our lakes, instead of maintaining this kind of even keel and being able to release and fill on a, on a more even basis, now they get filled to the brim or over top, which is what happened in 2019. Mountain right. Island Lake went over its over its uh, dam. Or they get down so low that we're now concerned about, you know, are we going to have enough water to water our lawns and our yeah. cars and things like that? And so, um, you know, thinking about uh, encouraging policy that leads to good cooperation was something that we were a part of. Uh, have continued to be a part of. Um, there's a group of utilities called the Catawba Watery Water Management Group, which is the um, the the utilities that all take their water out of the Catawba plus Duke Energy are a part of that group. Got it. And they've worked on um, management plans to ensure that nobody ever runs out of water because you know Charlotte's hoarding all their water at Mountain Island Lake and not mm-hmm. releasing any down to Rock Hill for you know for their water intake. So you know they're really focused on kind of that that system and we're there to kind of be a voice of, of, you know, Hey, uh, we're hearing that there's concern from this community about this and kind of raising the the flag of attention whenever it is needed. So when there's proposed developments in different communities, whether it's in Gaston County or, or, or Lincoln or Met County, how involved is Catawba Riverkeeper? I mean, do you get involved in, in, in that level? Um, when it's, you know, hey, is this going to be sustainable in terms of adding all of these new homes or new businesses or just different land uses? Or um, is that not really something that you guys are involved in that kind of a granular level on? Yeah, we, we get um, highly involved in those depending on the situation. You okay. know, um, you guys probably know this, but many of your listeners might not. There's really uh, every piece of property in Gaston County has some zoning right. Right. Today, you know, you could go out and Whatever it's zoned for today, you could go do that and you don't have to get any permission. Just follow the county or the city's rules Mm -hmm. and you can build however many homes that that particular zoning allows. What really becomes interesting is when developers are asking for the zoning to be changed, 
So they're asking for more dense neighborhood or less dense neighborhood, or they're wanting to add retail into what was zoned residential or, Mm -hmm. you know, any of those things, which is happening more and more frequently in Gaston County. Those are the ones we really get involved in because the zoning by right is honestly, you know, there's not a whole lot we can do as long as they follow follow the rules, you know, which is what we're concerned about. We're kind of keeping an eye on, are they, are they following the rules and is the County enforcing that? Um, You know, we don't really get involved in that. When a developer comes and says, um, you know, I want to, this, this property could have 350 houses, but I'd like to build 600. We're going to get involved in that because we're curious about how you're going to accomplish that and what impacts is it going to have. That's where we actually can have the greatest positive impact because the example I gave earlier of saying, well, how about if you do bigger buffers and, you know, instead of doing all single family homes, do some townhomes mm-hmm. and, you know, create that density you know, people sometimes have this this idea that that density is a is a bad thing or that's something for the cities. In, in reality, ur, uh, you know, urban design and density is just as important and positive for suburban communities. Yeah. For for all the same reasons, because you know you can have more green space, you have more accessibility to other resources. You know, you can put it closer to retail if you you know pack you know pack it all together on one lot. Um, yeah, you create some traffic challenges and, but at the same time, people can, if they can walk to a grocery store, they can ride their bike to a grocery Mm. store. At the end of the day, you start to offset some of those needs for cars, even in suburban environments. And so that's the really cool thing that's happening in the Charlotte region now is there's some, some traditionally urban developers moving their operations out into Gaston County and Union County and Cabarrus County because there's no more land in Mecklenburg right, County. Right. And so they're bringing these sensibilities about these like urban retail center developments where you've got a grocery store and a bar and a dry cleaners and, you know, the kind of basics that you need and then different sizes of and sizes of houses. Well, for us, that gives us an opportunity to influence what that's going to look like stronger stormwater management, you know, keep it all on site. Don't allow it to just run off, um, you know, bigger buffers on creeks, those types of things. You just mentioned or talked about the coal ash dilemma with Duke Power. Um, what do you see are the next big challenges for the Catawba Basin in the next like five or 10 years? Yeah, stormwater is by far the biggest threat to our water quality. Um, and it's really about how do we manage it? Um, when one inch of rain falls on an acre of forested land, not a single drop of it leaves that one acre. It gets absorbed by the groundwater, the trees and, and plants uh, soak it up. It never leaves. That same one inch of rain on a one acre parking lot moves 20,000 gallons of water off of that parking lot in a, in a very short period of time. Well, that volume and velocity of that water is really damaging to our creeks and our streams. And one of the biggest surprises for people when we talk to them is when the water goes down the storm drain in front of your house, there's no magic uh, filter down there that cleans it up before it goes somewhere. It goes straight to the creeks. You know, we don't, we in this region, the entire Catawba region have separate stormwater and sewer systems. If you lived in Atlanta, they have combined stormwater and sewer. Interesting. That creates a whole different set of problems because you can imagine if Hurricane Ian gets into your sewer system, what kind of problems you can have. Yeah. So in many ways, we're better off having them separate. 
But the downside is we're rushing stormwater and everything that is dragging. So animal feces, you know, brake dust, whatever fell on the parking lot, roads, sidewalks, your litter. yard, litter, yeah. anything is going straight to the storm drain, which is going straight to a creek and ultimately getting into our lakes and our and our river. So if you don't think about development, if you're not smart about development and you're not managing water for development during development, it, it really becomes a threat. And unfortunately, we're not thinking on a regional basis when it comes to stormwater management yet. We're kind of we're thinking on a municipal basis, we're thinking on a county basis. But if Gaston County doesn't do what they need to do with stormwater, York County, South Carolina pays the price. Yeah. If York County doesn't, Chester County, South Carolina pays the price. If if McDowell and Burke counties in the mountains don't do their job, we pay the price here in Gaston County. So that idea that we could come to some um, effective solutions on this basin-wide regional level, that's kind of our dream scenario, and that's what we're working towards through things like the South Fork River, River Health Project, where we've brought all the municipalities who are along the South Fork together to try to come up with some common sense strategies that everybody can agree on. And then also try to connect the recreational access. So Gaston County Parks and Rec is talking to Cramerton Parks and Rec, talking mm. to Belmont Parks and Rec, so that a paddler could put in at George Poston Park and paddle all the way to Lake Wiley and have this awesome paddling experience on the South Fork. Well, right now, there's not any place you could find all that information. You wouldn't know mm. where you can get in. You wouldn't know where you could take out. You mm. wouldn't know what the yeah. flow is. So the South Fork River Health Project is really meant to like bring um, folks together around water quality improvement of South Fork, but also around how people use it. Can you talk a little bit more about your involvement with recreation on the river? Yeah. I, mean, I think you mentioned a little bit earlier that you are a big kayaker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kayak the South Fork twice, two or three times a week. I live on where the South Fork goes into Lake Wiley. So uh -huh. that's how I got excited about this organization in the first place. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's a big part of what our organization does. In addition to the River Room and our headquarters in, in downtown McAdenville, we also have the Boathouse which is our kayak outfitter center in McAdenville on the banks of the river at the South Fork trailhead, which is in a weird place under I-85 that you really <laughs> have to like go to. You got to know it's there. <laughs> but if you, uh, you know, if you Google the boathouse, it'll, you'll find it. And that's a seasonal space where we do kayak rentals. We also do, um, you know, kayak excursions. If people want to, you know, go on a hike up to South mountains and, you know, see the, 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 the pristine trout waters that are there, or they want to go up to Catawba Falls to the headwaters up near Black Mountain. You know, we do all kinds of eco tours that, that, you know, take place. They take off from the boathouse. And then, you know, we lead trips on the South Fork. So, you know, we consider any kind of engagement with the river as a door opener, you know, whether that's drinking a beer, going on a kayak paddle, um, doing a cleanup, you know, getting in the, in the creeks and, and cleaning trash up. Any of that engagement, we feel like, is a gateway to have a conversation about why water is important to you as an individual. Mm. If I've got all my facts straight, I think our museum does a partnership with you guys for, like, ghost tours out on the river during That's this right. time of year. Yeah, yeah. We've done a couple of partnerships with Gaston County Museum. We've done uh, uh, one on uh, Rankin uh, Lake Park uh, and where we did spooky stories, and they came out and told uh, you know, water-related ghost stories. And oh, yeah. We... Uh, 
you know, scared everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we do those on uh, full moon nights, so they're extra spooky. Nice. Um, they've also done a paddle on the South Fork and talked about the history of the mills and how, um, you know, this whole region has been using the power of this river for, you know, mm. 150 years. You know, there's been mills on this river since the 1840s. So, you know, the idea that, um, you know, the river now has a whole new life and it's kind of a driver for economic development. It's a driver for recreation. You know, we, we think we should also, you know, make it a driver for life and, and, you know, let's take care of it because it's been important. It has been important for a long time. Mm -hmm. it, it needs to be important for another 150 years. I, I grew up in Arizona and looking at what they're dealing with now with the feds basically having to step in because the States haven't been able to manage water coming out of the Colorado river and some of the lakes there are getting to historic low levels. Obviously, it's a different climate out there. You, you don't get nearly the rain that we do in North Carolina. Um, but is that always kind of in the back of your mind if, if there's just too much draw on, on the Catawba? Because there's, I mean, there's millions of people that rely on the Catawba for, for drinking water. Yeah, over 3 million people get their drinking water from the Catawba. And, wow. and almost 4 million people get their electricity generated by the Catawba. So it, it's considered the hardest working river in America because there's more electricity generated per mile by this river than any river in the United States. No I didn't know that. It's because in a grand in in the world of river basins, mm -hmm. it's very small. It's 5,000 square miles and the entire river is is encompassed in 5,000 square miles. The Colorado that you're talking about, you know, stretches nine states and yep. is, you know, thousands of miles long. This river is only 225 miles long. And so um, to answer your question, do I worry about it? I don't worry about it. Is it something that we should be cognizant of? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, it, people are always surprised when I tell them, if you're worried about conserving water, turn the lights off. Because right. we evaporate more water off of our electricity generation, off of nuclear power plants and coal-fired power plants, the evaporation that happens from those, and then the loss of water that goes over the hydroelectric dams when when we're not generating electricity, then we consume in any given day. So the two nuclear power plants at Lake Wiley and Lake Norman um, evaporate more water than the entire city of Charlotte uses in a day. Wow. wow. So um, if we can control our consumption from an electricity standpoint, we're actually conserving more water than if we shut the water off brushing our teeth. That doesn't mean you shouldn't shut your right. water <laughs> right. off or you're brushing your teeth. But, you know, that's why kind of like – all this sustainable, smart technology that we have to try to conserve energy, it, it has so many tentacles to it. You know, it, it helps our carbon footprint because it reduces our fossil fuel consumption for, for energy generation. But it also improves, uh, you know, water, water conservation because we're not, you know, every drop that we can keep in the reservoirs means we can use it for something else. We can use it for drinking water. We can use it for wastewater treatment. We can use it for electricity generation. As soon as it goes over the watery dam at Lake Watery, it's gone for this region to ever use again. You know, next stop, Atlantic Ocean, sure. you know, McClellansville, South Carolina. <laughs> With as many breweries as we've got around here, we're going to need that water for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I probably drink more water through 16-ounce uh, uh, right? uh, IPAs than anything else. <laughs> um, you talked a little bit about the the – South Fork Health Project. Can you talk a little bit more about kind of how that got started and, and kind of where we are in the process with that and kind of what the next steps are? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I give all the credit of that project to Will Cawthon, who's the former mayor of the town of Cramerton. Mm. And um, if you know Cramerton at all, you know they're, they're the town in Gaston County who literally has a river running through the middle of town. Yep. They have residential and business on both sides, and it is right through the middle of downtown. So they've, they've borne the brunt of the flooding of the South Fork for the last oh, yeah. decade. You know, the Goat Island Park, which is really popular, has been totally underwater multiple times. It's been up in their fire station. Yep. And Will, when he was mayor, he was just kind of, you know, wringing his hands like, what are we going to do about this? We can't just sit back and just let this continue to happen to us. Mm-hmm. And about that same time that he was getting really frustrated with that, we decided to move our headquarters to Gaston County. And so I was going out and reaching out to stakeholders, just asking them, like, you know, we're moving to Gaston County. What What do you want me to put on our radar that maybe hasn't been on our radar sitting in uptown Charlotte. And Will said, the South Fork, it's a problem. Like we need to deal with it now. And so we, the idea was to go to the central line of council of government, see if they would convene all the municipalities. Cause that's kind of their role as sure. convener and get them talking about the South Fork. And so for the, all, the whole of 2021, we met every month and the group just kept getting bigger and bigger and included more municipalities and, you know, the county and Two Rivers Utilities and FAR companies and um, Virginia Fox's office and Tom Tillis's office. And, you know, we started to get more and more momentum. And so at the end of the year, around the end of October of 21, we said, well, let's put some action plan together. And so we developed the South Fork River Health Project action plan. And we submitted it to municipalities and asked them to sign a memorandum of understanding that they agreed that, the things we had come up with as challenges around water quality, flood resiliency, and recreation access were of value to all of us. And, and there was a lot of things that you know were on my initial list that didn't make it, which which is fine mm-hmm. because this kind of project has to be something that everybody is moving, you know, rowing the boat yes. at the same pace, uh, you know, pun intended. <laughs> and uh, so you know, we identified. Um, six key areas within those three big picture of water quality, flood resiliency, and recreation access. And we have subcommittees working on each of those areas. Now we get together once a quarter and we kind of update each other on what, you know, the progress we've made. So, you know, some of it's policy that everybody's kind of working together on. Is there common sense policy around stormwater that we could agree on? And can the county enforce that? And how would that work? And so, you know, we've got all the right people in the room there. So, you know, you've got all the county parks and recs and individual municipality parks and recs working together on the recreation plan. And what does that look like? And what, how do we make consistent signage so that if you put in in Gastonia and take out in Belmont, you realize you're still in the same place. (laughs) Um, Little stuff like that, which seems like no brainers is just not in the DNA of municipal governments. They're not, they're not built to inherently work together Mm -hmm. because they have their own kind of guidelines and goals. Um, and then the flood resiliency is a part of that. So the big project we're working on there is a feasibility study to remove the Arm, Armstrong Ford Dam, okay. which is just downstream from Cramerton and is holding um, a, a pretty significant amount of water back every time there's a big you know, flood event. And so being able to drop the level of the river slightly on a day-to-day basis might give us a lot more room to prevent flooding long-term. So that's a big project that we're working on in the flood resiliency space. And, and, you know, this is not the kind of thing that you like snap your fingers and all these projects are done. These no. are decades long projects. And so 
because you have changeover in elected officials and you have changeover in, in city managers and, you know, county managers and, mm-hmm. and for-profit CEOs change. Um, we felt like we were the logical convener because we were a well-established nonprofit who has our eyes focused on water quality hundred percent of the time. So ma- no matter how the winds of change of these different other partners, we're always going to be focused on it. And whether it's me sitting in this chair or my predecessor, you know, they're always going to have the charge to work on water quality, flood resistance yep. and, and recreation access. So that that's kind of the, the why we're doing it and how we're doing it. That's an ex- exciting project. And like I had heard a little bit about it kind of tangentially, but I didn't I didn't know all the details. So it's it's really um, cool to, to be able to bring all of those entities to the table. Um, and like you said, to be able to kind of come out of that and have kind of six main pieces that you're working on and know, okay, this is what we're moving forward with. And there's going to be tangible action that's taken, um, you know, in the, in the years and decades to come to, to make this better for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that group has rebranded itself now as the South Fork Collective. Okay. Um, and then the South Fork River Health Project is the actionable, you know, uh, result of that. So I hope in the, in the coming months and certainly in 2023, people will see a lot of, um, publicity and, and PR about the South Fork Collective and and you know maybe we can come back and talk about some of the activities going sure. on around that project specifically. Yeah, that'd be great. Anything else about um, just kind of coming to the organization about the work that you guys are doing that that I didn't ask about that you wanted to touch on? I'm sure we could talk for hours, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can go on forever. I, yeah. you know, I I got into this work because it was my passion and um, I tell people I have the best and hardest job in the world. Like I, I love what I do. I, every day is, is fun and new. Um, but, but water quality didn't become challenged overnight. So we're not going to fix it overnight. Uh And, um, our, our river keeper, who's our chief scientist, Brandon Jones, he's a Gastonia native. And when we moved our headquarters here, I'm a resident. I live in Belmont. You know, he grew up in Gastonia. So coming here for the two of us was like, okay, now the stakes just got a lot higher because yeah. we live around the folks that we're working around on a day-to-day basis. We have to look them in the eye and, 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 and we have to show what we're doing. And, and I think the coolest thing about moving our headquarters to Gaston County for me has been to see how important our water is to this county. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about the impact of Lake Wiley and how many people recreate and use it mm-hmm. on a regular basis – the same thing with the South Fork, but then you start to bring people's awareness level up about their drinking water and their wastewater and how interconnected it is in their life. Um, seeing people kind of have this renewed excitement about protecting their water, that, that's been really fun. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's got to be one of those things that like everything else can be frustrating. And then it's just like, but you've, you're getting more people involved in, you know, wanting to um, be cognizant of, the things that they're doing have an impact on the water and how can I, how can we be a better steward of the resources that we have? How can we help protect um, the river basin for generations to come? That's right. And if you can do it, drinking a beer at the river room and listening to live music, right? Like, come on, how easy is that? You don't even have to go to like some (laughs) boring gala fundraiser. Like uh, I, every, we do live music once a month and, and, whenever I'm introducing the band, I always say like, let's raise a toast to clean water. Cause where else can you drink a beer, listen to live music and protect your water all in one swing. And like this, that's the reason to come out. 
I think we'll figure out where Adam's going to be on most Friday nights now. Well, oh, no, hmm. my daughter has hockey Friday nights, but <laughs> no, Saturday. Out, yeah. I don't have a kid, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> every night. That's right. John Serby with the Catava Riverkeeper. Thank you so much for joining us on the show, and uh, wish you guys the best of luck in all of your continued endeavors. And uh, here's to continued clean water. Thanks. <laughs>